Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Stephen Pope, and Norm Farrar. Today, I'm speaking with Afalabi Oyerukun, a co-founder of Hanu Worldwide, and we'll be talking a lot about what he would do differently if he were to start his Amazon business again, as well as how he has exited three different Amazon brands at this point. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Afalabi, I started Hadley Designs back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years, but I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it really needed to be. There were times where I really doubted whether it was my leadership abilities or whether we could grow our brand into a household name or whether our business could financially survive. I wish I would have had a guide or a mentor along the way that would have helped me overcome a lot of those obstacles and stumbling blocks that we ran into. If you've hit similar plateaus and you want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line say strategy audit and tell me why you should be selected uh, for receiving this strategy audit this month. And don't worry if you don't win this month, you'll be entered for future months to come. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Afalabi Oyerukun. He is the co-founder of Hanu Worldwide, an innovative product development, sourcing, and 3PL company based in Pennsylvania. Afalabi has always been a has always been passionate about finding things, haggling, and negotiating prices. His obsession with finding good quality products at bargain prices led him to help several seven- and eight-figure brands increase their profits and scale rapidly by buying smart from Asia and the U.S. He is behind the successful launches of several multi-million dollar products on Amazon and other retail channels. An entrepreneur at heart, Afalabi owns and has sold a few seven-figure private label brands. He loves helping people design, develop, and manufacture innovative products. Welcome to the show, Afalabi. Thank you, Josh. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Well, we're excited to hear your story, and you've had a lot of success um, on Amazon. You've exited some brands. You're continuing to start new brands as well. You have a lot of experience that I think our listeners are going to be excited to hear your story and, and to get some advice from you of what you would do differently and, you know, some of those stumbling blocks that you might have occurred to help other sellers kind of navigate around those obstacles that every Amazon seller faces. But off a lobby, why don't you get started by just kind of telling people your story and how you got into the world of Amazon and what led you to ultimately exiting three brands recently? Oh, thank you. Uh, I would say my story really started uh, in 2001. Uh, I, you know, got out of college and uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a very creative person. I like to design products. So I had designed some really cool shoes, uh, you know, very colorful sneakers. And uh, I've been looking you know, I was looking for who can help me manufacture or who can help me, you know, develop these shoes. And, uh, you know, uh, eventually I was looking on the Internet. You know, those were days of dial-up Internet. There was no broadband. There was nothing, you know. So I was looking all over and finally some guy, random guy, just, you know, replied me and said, hey, we like your shoes. We can help you design it. And it's, it's from Taiwan. And I'm like, oh, wow, really? He says, but you have to come down here. I'm like, okay, all right, I can do that. 
So I flew to I flew to Taiwan to go meet him. A uh, very very nice guy, Mr. Johnson. And uh, he looked at my designs. He's like, "Yeah, we can help you. You know, do this and do that. Just explain to us what what it is. You know what." You know, you know how many sizes you want to make. Are you making men's and women's? So I'm like, yeah. So I want to make men's and women's. You know, so he told me I was going to need like some molds. I'm like, what is that? He's like, well, mold. And then he showed me the molds. I'm like, wow, okay. And then he broke it to me. It's like for this mold, each size is two thousand dollars. I was wow. like, what? Just starting so I- out, out of college, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Yes, you know, I'm like, where in the world am I going to get that? <laughs> you know, I said, well, I can't cut the number of sizes I want to make, you know, because it says size six is $2,000, size seven is $2,000, eight is $2,000. Wow. And I wanted to go to size 14 because I wear a size 13. So it's like, yeah, you, we got to make mold for both. So all my designs, I had to condense them into one. I'm mm-hmm. like, I need to do only one kind of sole because the mold is for the bottom part of the shoes. So it's, I said, okay, all right. Instead of making like gazillion uh, uh, number of molds, let me just concentrate on just one type of mold and just change the upper part. But anyway, so eventually we got the mold done. We got the prototype done and uh, it was time to manufacture. Remember, I don't, I didn't have any marketing experience. I didn't know where I was going to sell these shoes. I don't know. I didn't know nothing. I was just so driven because, you know, I just, I was just so passionate about my designs. And uh, he says, okay, well, the minimum order quantity is 1,500 pairs per color. Like, geez, we're making six colors or something. He's like, yep. At the end of the day, I had to make 7,512 pairs of shoes stuff it into a seven, you know, 45 foot container, ship it all the way, you know, to California to store, be stored at a warehouse. And now the journey began. How am I going to sell these shoes? <laughs> you know? So you didn't know. So you just, you loved, I guess, designing products then, correct? Uh-huh. And you had this wild idea that, Hey, I'm going to sell my own sneakers. And uh-huh. then it, you still didn't have a plan of how you were going to sell Mm-mm. these sneakers then, correct? No, Mm-mm, nothing, no plan. <laughs> okay, keep going. <laughs> so I was like, okay, my wife was helping me do research and, you know, now these are friends' money. I, I had to bankroll, you know, finance this purchase, this manufacturing with friends' money. Okay. And, uh, you know, so I was, you know, uh, I was able to get some trade shows in New York and everything. So I went to trade shows, you know, showed not a single order. You know, I went everywhere and it got to a point, you know, Amazon reached out to us and say, Hey, you know, uh, this looks like a really cool shoe. You know, do you want to come on our platform to start selling it? I mean, those were times, those were the days they were trying to transition from just selling books into selling other products. And I'm like, okay. sure, you know, I, I, I don't have anywhere else to sell these, you know. I might as well try you out. And uh, lo and behold, we started selling, you know. But there was no FBA, so we had to fulfill by ourselves. I had to trust some guy in California to actually ship my goods out, who always took like two, three days before he even looked into his email or into his computer to see if I had an oh, order or not. It was disastrous, <laughs> you know. But, you know, we were selling. We were selling and uh, it got to a point we started noticing that the returns rate was higher, was getting high. And we're like, why are people returning the shoes? We found out they were returning them to get a bigger size because those shoes run really small. Mm. Yeah, they run really small. Uh, It was a big problem. You know, we still had some 7,000 pairs left, you know. And I was like, what am I going to, what are we going to do? Okay, can we put in the description of the, listing that oh shoe runs small take a higher size or whatever yeah you know we did that actually and uh but still i just couldn't take the pain of people just returning and returning and returning them for a bigger size because it was costing us money every time mm-hmm. we ship it to them so i'm like you know what i have to cut my losses and just liquidate this inventory so unfortunately i had to liquidate it to some guy in Florida who went down and sold everything in Mexico or somewhere. Oh, uh, interesting. So, 
Yeah, yeah. So it was a tough time, but you know, I'm happy I had to go through it, you know, to learn and to to just to be better. <laughs> and so you ended up then placing a new order then with the correct sizes no, or no? No. You just that no. you just kind of closed the business. Huh? I just closed it. That was the end. That was 2002. And, okay. Uh, in 2014, you know, my, you know, my best friend here in uh, New York, I was living in New York then. And he was like, well, I feel happy with your, with your skills. You know, <clears throat> you have a source, you have some good sourcing skills. You know, all the suppliers, you have product development skills. Why don't you let us go and sell on Amazon? I'm like, you kidding me? I just got out of Amazon several years ago. I'm not going back there again. It's like, no, 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 no. It's different now. They now have FBA. They'll help mm. you fulfill your products. I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, what do you have to lose? Let's do it. So 2014, December, we go back into it and we started listing some product. And January 1, 2015, we made our first sale. I'm like, that's a good sign. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's a good sign. So we, before you know it, we started uh, introducing new products. We started designing new products. He would design some, how we design some, we'll put it on there. We started crushing it. We were growing so fast, more than we could handle. And it, it, that's the next disaster. You know, now we were experiencing success that we didn't prepare for. And man, it, it messed us up really, really bad because we just couldn't cope with so many times we would order products. The products would be sitting in our warehouse. We just didn't realize we had those products in there. We don't even re we didn't mm. even remember to launch the product. We ordered. Oh, really? They were sitting in the warehouse because we we're so bogged down with all the little little things, the logistics, the this, the that, that we couldn't really uh, focus on the business to really grow it and to really do very well. So success could be uh, a bad thing if you're not prepared for it or you don't know how to handle it. That's the lesson I learned in that part as well. So we, you know, we we started new brands. We, you know, until last year, uh, we got an offer uh, from a, you know, from a buyer who I believe, you know, is an aggregator. Uh, you know, we sold the first one, and you know, this, the process was smooth and you know, good. And then, you know, we offered them this, you know, two more brands, and they said, yeah, we'll take them, you know. So we, you know, we sold them very well, profitably. We were happy, uh, but we learned a lot of uh, things through in the process of 2014 to 2022. Uh, we, we, we learned a lot, and I'm very happy I went through the whole process to to get to where I am now. <laughs> yeah, well, I I love that you kind of initially cut your teeth at the very beginning, the early stages of Amazon. And it, and it didn't go over well at all, right? I think that was no. probably a very negative experience for you. And it was. you kind of ran away from Amazon, obviously, for the next yep. decade <laughs> until your friend kind of convinced you to come back on. So I think what would be most interesting for our listeners to hear is if you can go back to 2015 and with all of your experience now, you know, if you were to restart on Amazon, which I think that's what you're doing now is you're creating some new brands and mm -hmm. launching them on Amazon. What are some of those lessons, actionable takeaways that you can give to other sellers to say, hey, here are the challenges that we faced at, at different points in the business that I'm going to make sure that we don't go through these same challenges again in the future. If you wouldn't mind breaking some of those lessons learned for us, breaking yes. that down. I'm going to... Uh... Uh, if I were to start all over again, uh, I'm also going to weave some stories and past experiences into it. So when somebody goes into e-com, you're starting your e-commerce or you're starting your Amazon business. Sometimes we forget the reason why we started in the first place. We forget the reason why we quit our jobs and we went into e-commerce. For me, my main driver was freedom. I wanted freedom. I wanted, be, I wanted to be able to control my time. I wanted to be able to be there for my family any day, any time. I wanted to be able to take off. If I want to take off, I want to take off, you know? Yeah. So you start this e-com business and you're married to it. You know, you're, you're, you're waking up 3 a.m. in the morning. You're, you know, you're sleeping late at night. So 
eventually defeats the purpose of why you started in the first place. So we found ourselves caught up in all those things. You know, me and my business partner, we will fight each other. You know, why, why, you know, why are we running out of stock? I'm like, I didn't know that product was going to run out of stock. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. we didn't have good system in place and uh, we didn't have the freedom or anything. So going back now, looking back to where we came from till now, there are three things I I'm going to do differently this time. First, I'm going to innovate. Second, I'm going to automate. Third, I'm going to have a lot of free time to think. Mm. Because for me, I believe that thinking time is a very creative time. I believe that your rest time is very important. People ask me, you know, you know, jokingly, maybe I'm speaking to Norm. I mean, Norm Farah, you know, is my business partner at Onu. You know, he picks, you know, he picks up on me a lot. He's like, hey, Afolabi, what did you do this weekend? I'm like, Norm, I did nothing. <laughs> I just sat on my couch and I was watching soccer all day. I was not doing nothing, you know. <laughs> Sometimes he calls me. I'm, I said, I'm on the field. Stop disturbing me. I'm on the field with my son. We're playing soccer here. Please, you know. Yeah. So yeah. freedom, time to spend time with your loved one is very important. So I'll make sure that this time I automate so that I can free up myself to do whatever I want whenever I wanted to do it. I don't want anything just pressuring me down all the time because when I'm thinking, I'm creating things that are so valuable in my rest time. Yeah. I could be sitting on a lounge, I mean, on a, on a, on a recliner and you, you know, you, when you're relaxed, when your mind is at rest, you, so many creative ideas come to you and you can look into your business and, and actually spot all the things you are doing wrong when you're in a relaxed mode, you know? Yeah. So you're, you're kind of three takeaways then, right? If you were to uh -huh. restart would be to innovate automate and then have more time for thinking and just downtime in general. Right. Yes. So awful lobby, why don't you expand on each of those three things that you would do differently? Let's start with innovate first. What do you mean by innovating and why is that an important lesson learned that you're going to make sure to implement going forward? Great. So when we started in, back in 2014 on Amazon, we, I would say we started on a very good note because myself and my partner, we were, uh, we are creative people. We love graphics. We love to design stuff. So we, so many, so many categories, about two or three categories on Amazon. Now we actually ruled those categories. We almost like invented those categories and everybody started copying us after two or three years, but we had made We've made enough, so we didn't care. Uh, but it was innovation that made us different, mm. you know, because our products were so unique. We designed it from scratch. We didn't copy anybody. We created them. We looked at what was in the market and we're like, we can do better than this. With some two, three hour worth of work, we'll create products that will sell like, you know, $50,000 a month. You know, we, you know, we were so confident in our creative abilities. So going back again, we will create more and we'll even go so unique uh, and we will niche down to what we're, what's the easiest for us to do. So we'll niche down and we will go deep and then wide. So what do I mean by that? So you, let's say uh, you, we started with garden signs, right? So we will create this garden sign and uh, come up with like one skew in the garden sign. Okay. And it takes off and it's selling like crazy. And we're reading reviews and people are saying, oh, I love your signs. I wish it was double-sided. And I tell them, let's do double-sided. You know? <laughs> so we do, we do double-sided. That means we're going deeper. We do double-sided. And then we read reviews like, yeah, I put the sign on my lawn and it just looks so small. I wish it was bigger. I have big lawns. Ding, ding, ding. You know, let's make yep. it bigger two-sided, bigger version, right? Well, I'm not, and then, oh, I'm, I, you know, I wish, I don't like that color, you know, I wish it comes in another color. Then we're getting wider now. 
Like now, now let's break into so many colors. Let's give people what they want. This probably SEO of life. People are already giving you, they're already telling you what they will buy, you know? And uh, so we will give it to them. We'll do a lot of research and we will, you know, we will create more. So going back now to start all over again, we would really, really consciously niche down, create some really jaw-dropping designs. And as the designs take off, we'll keep going deeper into that niche instead of getting distracted by other things like, oh, everybody else is making money off of this one. No, we would we would completely, you know, prevent ourselves from get, being distracted and just keep focusing on what's working and just outdoing ourselves and outdoing ourselves by going deeper and giving the customer experience and then broadening it out. So that's what I mean by innovation. And one more thing in the innovation is one failure. One thing we forgot to do was we forgot to patent our ideas when we started. This time, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to make that mistake again. Once you innovate a product, you have to protect it with everything you've got. So this time, we create a product, we protect it before we even launch it. What kind of uh, patents are you talking about? Are you talking about utility patents or design patents, copyrights? It would be, so we use uh, three types. So we will use design patents. If it's a completely creative thing that doesn't exist at all, we would we add utility patent to it. But many people don't realize that copyrights are very strong. So when you talk about copyrights, everybody think, oh, I can copyright my listing. I can copyright my text. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. You can actually copyright the design of your product. Mm. You can do a 2D copyright and you can do a 3D sculpture copyright. And that will protect you. That Amazon respects that as much as patent. And copyright costs like 50 bucks to do. Yeah. As opposed to patents that could lead you into, you know, five, ten thousand or even more. So we will use copyrights for 2D and 3D sculpture. That means we will, you know, we will do a 3D rendering of our products and we'll copyright the 3D rendering. We'll do a 2D version, which is the flat version design of our product. We will copyright that as well. And then we we'll go into patent if it is uh if it is worthy enough for uh Utility patent would do utility, but in most cases, it will be design patents. Okay. Yeah. That and we previously had Rich Goldstein on the show, and he works, him and I work together a lot on creating a lot of the design patents and copyrights for our own business. So, yes, I completely agree with you. That is <laughs> so important. We've started doing that in the last couple of years, and it makes all the difference because, as you know, as soon as you come up with a unique design, it's only a few months later that you'll have overseas competitors that are mimicking your exact same design. Exactly. They have no creativity whatsoever, and it's easy to shut them down only if you have a copyright or a design patent to protect it. Correct. Correct. We had a product, a very simple product. It was a bumper sticker that we had in those days. And we were selling like 75 units a day. And then everybody, every factory was copying us. They just flooded the market with our design. And uh, it dropped to like 10 or 20 a day. We were like, what's going on? So we did a research. We saw that there were about, about 50 or 60 people were copying us. And the sale, our sale could have been 100 or 150 a, a day if we didn't have all those people. So we filed a complaint. Tango, we had uh, uh, copyrighted the design. So we filed a complaint to Amazon. We said, this, 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 this. We put in all the asyncs of everyone copying us. Within 24 hours, Amazon shut them down. Guess what? We went back from 10 a day to 200 units a day. Wow. That's it's a, a great, big difference. That's a great case study. <laughs> yep, it's a big difference. So please, anybody, you you know, you want to create something. Number one, you should be creating something new. Don't don't try to do me too product. I'm very biased. I don't like me too product because you just don't have longevity in me too product. You know, why are you selling what everybody else is selling? Why can't you just create something new? You know. Uh, if you have an idea, you can, you know, direct message me or, you know, we can brainstorm ideas together. Create something that can you can really, really sell. You don't have any asset selling, you know, me too product. You know, like you said, you know, Josh, you're, 
your business is is in your is, is in your IP. If you don't have yeah. any IP, you don't have a business. That's what I learned in a hard way. <laughs> yeah. So when you exited your brands, I'm wondering, like, did they care? Did you have IP that you were giving them? And yes. how important was that? It was big. So there were two big things that made our brand so that made it made us sell at almost five x. It was our copy, our, our IP protection, and our some of most some of our products in one of our brands. Some of our, most of our products, our best selling products was made in the U.S. Mm. And the buyer loved it. Like I place an order in a week, it ships out, and it ships for free direct to FBA. So they love that. They're like, no, this is a slam dunk for us, you know? So those two things we had to transfer. So at closing, you have a, a reassignment of IP. So we had to, you know, reassign our trademarks, our patents, our copyrights and everything. We had to reassign it to the new owner. Okay. Interesting. Um, but that was something that was very interesting and appealing to them then, right? Very, and very. You feel like a, you got extra, you know, an extra multiple because of the intellectual I property? believe so. Yes, I believe so. Because they, they, have a, they have a very strong brand presence. They have a, you know, the, some of these products, the, the next seller to us is probably doing 20% of what we're doing. Mm. You know, so, and it was because... You know, we have this IP that if anybody tries to copy anything, we just shut them down. You know, so yeah. for that, they knew it was a good investment for them and it's going to deliver on their, you know, on their books, you know, to their shareholders. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Going back to, you know, innovating products. I mean, that's that's what you say is so, so important. And it's the same for our business as well. I'm curious, where do you get your design inspiration where you aren't copying other people? So where do you see, you know, how do you come up with designs that are trending or get ahead of the trends to make sure that you create something that customers actually want? Awesome. So we have a very simple rule. We would research you know, you know, we could use data dive. My, you know, my business partner does that. We use uh, Brenda Young's data drive or Helium 10 and stuff. You know, it would find out what niches and what categories are doing so well. And we would look at all the designs. We'd be like, uh, no, we could do better than this one. <laughs> you know, you know, and then we could, we could, we could look at into patterns as well and say, oh, what patterns are doing so good? So we will take the patterns that are doing good and they're, products that are doing good and we'll marry the two together right so we know these products are doing so good but they're boring you know they could they could take more they could they could use more life you know both in the product and in the packaging design because we want to put the packaging you know in in our listing so that some people see them like wow that packaging alone it's like buying a apple product you know, you, the experience you, you, you see when you're opening the box of your iMac or whatever, you know, we will design the packaging to be completely, completely unique that, you know, so we get our inspiration from that. We look at what selling was doing so well, and we go back to the drawing board and say, we could do a lot better than these because we're creative people. So we're going, we go and design you know, different, you know, different uh, 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 variations of things. And we'll launch them and see which one does better. And we're like, oh, it looks like people like this one's most. We'll keep them. We'll scale those up. And the ones that are not doing so well, we'll you know, we keep them for a few months. And if they still never pick up, we'll just cancel them. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll keep the ones that are doing good. <laughs> Do you add them as variations to your listing or do you leave them as standalone ASINs to occupy more real estate on the search results page? We, we keep them separate. We keep okay. them separate because when we're doing product display ads and stuff like that, we want to spread, you know, because some people don't really look at variations sometimes. You know, it's not that variations are not good, but some people don't look at it that well. You know, they don't look at you know, how Amazon displays them. So we would like to, especially uh, if, it, if it's a design that is very unique, we don't want to put them together as under each, you know, under each one of them. Maybe by size, we can put, we can do variation by size, but when it comes to color or aesthetic or whatever, we like to keep them separate to take up more real estate. 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. That then kind of leads into the complexity of PPC management, though, right? When you're advertising or, yeah, when you have a product design where there are unique aspects to every single one, right? Mm -hmm. um, You're targeting the exact same keywords, right? If you're doing Mm -hmm. bumper stickers, you might have Mm -hmm. 10 different SKUs of bumper stickers with very different designs on them. Correct. So when you're doing that, how did you manage, you know, the PPC campaigns where it, you're trying to promote 10 of the exact same product, <laughs> granted different designs, but for the exact same keyword? I wish I can answer that question, but that would be more of a question for my business partner because I have no clue how the PPC thing works. I learned it. I watched so many trainings. I'm like, this is such a hard thing, you know, <laughs> you know, following through all this thing. I, I know the concept because, you know, when we, when we're having meetings, I, you know, it tells me what they do and everything, but I'm like, let's just automate this outsource all these things. You know, I, you know, I don't want to body, but you know, you know, burden my head with all the complexities because it keeps changing every time. So yeah. I wish I can answer that question, Josh, but I have no clue how we did it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, it looks like we'll have to have your business partner on, on the on the on the it podcast. Um, so off the lobby, I'm also curious, like what type of products are you talking about here? Because you talked about a lot of like design innovation and like product packaging. Um, obviously, you started in shoes a long, long time ago. But, you know, it sounds like you were doing some stickers what other types of products were they more like stationary paper based or were they apparel based? Uh, give us, if you could get, give us a little insight on those and, and maybe some examples of the packaging that you changed. So we did, uh, we did uh, a lot of uh, uh, crafts. Uh, one of our brands was specifically crafts. And okay. everyone in the craft space at that time, they were selling almost the same product we're selling, but they'll put a white and black sticker and just stick it, stick it on the on the product, and that's it. But we went and designed a very, very elegant, like a big emblem. Mm. Uh, it was gold foil. We didn't spare any expense. You know, it was like a gold foil. Now, the difference between the white and black sticker that everybody was putting on and our own sticker that we put on because the product was shrink wrapped. Okay. You know, the, the difference between the two is like 12 cents. Now, it's not a significant amount, but it created a huge value. In, Interesting. In the, in, in, the, in the eye of the, 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 the shoppers, they're like, oh, this product has white and black label. Looks like somebody just slapped it on it. This one looks like like a premium product, whereas we're getting it from the same supplier, right? Yeah. It looks like premium product. Look at packaging. Look at gold and silver foil around it. So we outsell everyone by almost three to one just because of that 12 cents. And were you featuring that on your Amazon listing then? Is that what yeah. made the difference? It made a difference, yeah. And then we discovered that everyone that used this product would also buy another accessory. We're like, let's just give this accessory for free. So we created that that accessory and we put it into the product and it's for free. And that really went made that sale go so high. The accessory cost us 15 cents, Mm. right? That we put into this product and everybody for that, people just, thought it was genius you know but of yeah. course everybody started copying us after that but we had really really gone far before people would realize what was going on interesting those are those are some great examples thanks for sharing that with us <laughs> now let's move into automating things you talk about how that's one thing that you would change what do you mean by automating things moving forward and give us some examples so Another uh, thing I discovered as an e-com brand owner is many brand owners don't really know who they are. They don't know what type of e-com, what, what type of business person are you? Are you the manager, leader kind of person? Or are you the inventor, innovator, or creative person? Or are you the data-driven financial person? I see, you know, I have, you know, so many brands that we, we take care of. 
and it's so different. All the brand owners are so different and so unique. They have different personalities, different characters, different everything, right? One of them, some of them will be like, I just want to make money. I could care less if I'm selling toasters. I just uh-huh. want to make money. That is the data-driven financial seller, right? But then I have these sellers like myself that I just want to create something new. I don't like managing people. I don't like managing anything. I just want all day, I want to launch something and hand it over. So that's why I always call myself, you know, Norm calls me the idea midwife. <laughs> I like to I, I like to listen to how people I, I enjoy listening to people's ideas, like people's creative ideas, like innovations. I'm like, wow, let, let's help bring it to let's bring it out together. You know, so I'll say, let me help you b- give birth to that idea. Uh, that's the kind of person I am. Right. So I'm more of a creative uh, uh, entrepreneur. I, I'm not a manager person. I'm not data driven. I, I don't look at data. You know, my business partner is all data and he's both data and innovative. Uh, and then we have the manager leader kind of person who would enjoy uh, having a team that, you know, he can lead and everything like that. So uh, if you know who you are, just focus on your strength and outsource the rest. That's what, mm. that's my definition of automation. So now starting all over again, we wouldn't touch PPC. We wouldn't touch listing optimization. We wouldn't touch ranking. We wouldn't touch all those things. We just want to create stuff. Mm. We'll create and we'll continue to create. We have time to think and create. Because for me, create creating products is more of like a, I see my Amazon business more as a royalty kind of deal, whereby okay. I, I work once and I get paid continuously. Yeah. My work is in creating something different, something unique, something fun. And after I'm done creating it, I don't want to see it again. I want to hand it off yeah. to a management product, you know, a business developer kind of person who would take it on and say, oh, wow, we could sell a ton of this thing. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be involved in the marketing or the ranking strategy. I don't want to be involved in that. I just want to create it. I love the logistic side. I love the logistic side as well. So that's why we have our 3PL center. I enjoy that. Like I designed the whole 3PL center because of my creative side. I, I'm more architectural. So our, our 3PL center that we're building now or constructing now, I designed it for 3PL. You know, all the 3PL, you know, warehouses you see, they're really, they're really a warehouse design. They're not optimized. You know, so I'm shopping for robots. I'm shopping for automation technology to, you know, from the time your product comes to our dock till it gets to the rack, how can I automate it? How yeah. can I save you money? Even before your product leaves China or India, wherever it is, I want to be able to start the automation from there. I want to be able to start saving you money from the time your product leaves your supplier's warehouse to come to my warehouse. I want it fully automated. That's the kind of person I am. So PPC, automate, outsource. Listing, outsource. Everything outsource. I only keep what I enjoy, you know, so, so I can based, free up my time. Yeah, so based on that, <laughs> would you go to a completely outsourced, like, brand management, you know, agency where they do PPC in-house and they manage your listings and all of that? Would you just choose one person and just work with that one agency? Or would you try to say, hey, this guy's the best at PPC, so I'm going to bring him in as our agency for PPC. This guy's really good at optimization strategies, so I'm going to bring in this agency. Or would you just try to simplify things and go with a, you know, an all-in-one type of agency? And do you have any in mind that you would share with this our listeners? I, I, will, uh, I would prefer to pick teams that are that are you know that only know how to do one thing very well okay so for ppc i'll pick a ppc team like you know i went to uh, i discovered recently trellis do you know trellis i don't think i've heard of that one uh t-r-e-l-l-i-s they are ppc software and they also have managed services you know okay. uh you know norm introduced me to them so i'll probably pick trellis to do all the ppc work and then I'll look for somebody that is really good in ranking strategies. And when I go to tra- when I go to events, I meet all these companies and I'll just take their card and take their card and take their card. And then we, 
you know, talk to them, interview them to see how they do. Uh, and then Norm Farah also has a, a company called Dragonfish. You know, he, he, he likes branding and packaging and stuff like that. So for branding and packaging, you know, you will probably do that. And then I'll go to somebody else that really knows how to do, you know, like uh, Vanessa, you know, so Vanessa uh-huh. is into uh, 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 all the, you know, tips and tricks in, you know, solving problems or, you know, Excel sheets and stuff like that. Reduce that. For inventory management, I'll pick so stocked, you know, by Chelsea. Yeah, because it's very, of all the software that I tried on inventory management, we had a lot of problems. We lost millions due to inventory management. So I, I take inventory management really seriously, <laughs> right? Yeah. So for inventory management, I'll probably pick SoStock. I've been using it for a while. I love it. We actually have a SoStock management agency. Uh, we were approved by SoStock to manage, you know, you know, other brands, inventory uh so because we know it so well so we I, we mastered it we 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 you know when they were building when chelsea and dan were building that software i was able to they asked me a lot of questions contributions and stuff like so i was able to look into the system to see how they were doing it which was really super cool uh so i would pick the best of everything and just outsource it like that and just so i can have my free time to think and to do what I love doing best, which is creation, creating things and the logistics side. Would you hire somebody as like a general manager to then kind of be the person that's working with and managing Everyone. all of those different Correct. agencies? Correct. As an operations manager. So we'll have an operations manager that will work with all these teams okay. to, make, to make sure everything is flowing on very well. We could, you know, we could do it at first until we find the perfect person that we can hand yeah. it over to. Yeah. Awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Great insight. All right. Last thing. I know we're running up on time here, but that kind of coincides with what we want to talk about, which is time to think. So, mm-hmm. you know, tell us about, you know, why that is so important and that why that's something that you're going to change with your new business. Well, because all my ideas come to me when I'm relaxed, when I'm at rest, you know, when I'm running in the morning, you know, uh, people wonder why I like to run like, you know, five miles, you know, that's my me time. That's when I, that's when I'm thinking, you know, so anytime I'm running, I get an idea, I stop and I put a memo on my phone and I record the ideas on my phone and I continue to run or anytime. So I have this uh, massage chair at home. I just sit on it for 20 minutes. When I'm doing that, I'm just, just thinking of things mm. one idea that you that comes to you whether you're running or you're at, at, a, at a rest mode or whatever that one single idea i found out can change the whole landscape of your business and it's so it's so simple but when you're so busy with so many things you don't even have time to think you don't have time to do anything you don't realize that you're here doing a $20 an hour job when you could have been sitting, relax, be composed, and you come up with a billion dollar idea. Now, your $20 tasks are preventing you from thinking out the million dollar product or the million dollar service or the million dollar idea. See, so I see many of us are so burdened down with, I'm going to do it by myself because I want to save money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to... At the end of the day, you're really not saving money. You're losing money. You just don't know what. You just don't know <laughs> yet how much money you're losing by not having your free time to think, spend time with your family. Like, you know, a friend of mine came to my house and, you know, he saw that I was cooking. And he's like, you love cooking? I said, yeah, you know, cooking is my me time. Anytime I'm cooking, I'm doing stuff, you know, in the house. It's just, you know, my way of just thinking. Just thinking, freeing up my mind to just let my let my mind just run random. Just, just let him, just let it run. You know? Yeah, whichever way it wants to run. Because at the end of the day, you could come up with some really, really cool stuff that you never know of. You know, I I completely agree <laughs> with how important it is to set aside like strategic thinking time. 
um, and to just have space because I find myself as well as our business has grown, getting busier and busier and more meetings and more meetings and needing to work with this team member or this agency or whatever it is. And I can find that at the end of the day, all I've done is just sit on multiple meetings and then I just do that day in and day out. But Correct. what I have found that is when I block off time on my calendars, and for me, it's Fridays, I love to have that space on Fridays where I can go through and read industry newsletters or, you know, listen to podcasts or just be inspired by different ideas or I learn about a new conference. And it's always been little changes or little shifts like that that have been big mindset shifts that then change the trajectory of the business or it's a relationship or it's something new that I've learned. So I completely echo exactly what you said, <laughs> how important it is to set aside strategic thinking time to allow those creative ideas to come to you without, you know, forcing it upon yourself. So sure. awful lobby, this has been a lot of fun. Um, before we kind of wrap things up with our final three questions, I love to leave our audience with three takeaways from each episode. So here are the three kind of takeaways that I've jotted down from this epi episode. Let me know if you think I'm missing something off lobby. So no number one is don't create me too products. The way that you are going to succeed on Amazon and e-commerce in general in the future and today is by innovating, looking at what is not currently on those platforms and bringing something new to the market. So let's say you're a business owner and you're not the creative person. For myself, I am not a graphic designer. My wife is. She's very <laughs> creative. But what I can do is I can go partner with those people that are very creative because there are starving creative people out there that just like yourself they just love the thrill of creating things. So it's partnering with them and saying, hey, create something brand new, wild, even outlandish. And we found a good market opportunity. Let's just see what sticks. And I think typically you probably have a lot of experience. Some designs take off where you don't expect them to and other designs <laughs> don't. And like you said, you just kind of retire the ones that, that never get legs underneath them. Um, but if you're not constantly innovating and bringing new ideas and new products to the table, your business will slowly just start to, you know, disintegrate over time. Yep. Action. 100%. <laughs> good. Good. Action item number two is automating your business. And this is going to look different for every different type of business owner. And I think you said that very eloquently where you first have to understand like what are the strengths that you're bringing to the table. If you are the person that loves data and digging in and optimizing PPC and optimizing your listings, then go create a team, right? Where you're training them and you've created processes for your own internal team to go and do that. Um, if you're not and you're the product guy, then you go find partners that are experts in those particular fields and bring them in, put together a general manager or an operations manager that can then manage those agencies that you're working with. But most importantly, like you do have to think through the operations of the business. And even as a creative, you have to spend time up front in establishing those relationships establishing those partnerships with agencies or with team members that you're going to bring in. Um, but that, that is so vital. And then last but not least is setting that time aside to have strategic thinking. I think any entrepreneur, no matter what stage you're in, if you want to take your business to the next level, you want to go to eight figures and beyond. It's not about how much you are working in a day, right? I think many of us are guilty of doing $20 an hour tasks that we just keep doing because we're too lazy to create the SOPs and give it over to a virtual assistant, or we are, you know, claim that we are too busy to, you know, document the process in general. And so that is something that every entrepreneur and every stage of entrepreneurship, right? You might be working on $20 an hour tasks 
eventually you may be working on $200 an hour tasks and you may be saying, wow, if I hire this type, I need like a, a CMO, a chief marketing officer. Okay. They're 200 bucks an hour. If that's the case, then you need to understand that you're probably bringing a thousand, two thousand dollars an hour to the table. And so when you learn how much value you're bringing to the business, then it becomes easier to say, oh, you know what? My time is actually at a thousand, two thousand dollars an hour. Maybe I should be justifying spending two hundred dollars an hour. It is expensive, right? And that is a big mm -hmm. salary to pay somebody, but that's freeing you up to do more thousand, ten thousand dollar an hour work. Correct. That you would otherwise not be doing. And this isn't something that you change overnight, but it's something that you slowly scale into. And as your business grows, you'll get more experience doing that and feel more comfortable saying, okay, right. I think all of us now <laughs> are very comfortable with like, I can go hire a VA. I understand that process. That mindset shifts when you're like, I need to go hire a six figure salary person to take this <laughs> over. You're like, Ooh, that's a lot of money. But at the end of the day, you have more to give than that. So right. that's kind of my takeaways and action items for our audience. Would you agree? Do, do you think I missed anything here? No, you said it perfectly. Perfectly. That was good. <laughs> awesome. All right, Afalabi. Well, let's dive into our final three questions here. So tell me about a what's been the most influential book that you've read and why? I would say the one book that really changed my way of thinking I was in college and uh, the book came out. It was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And a friend gave it to me and I just couldn't stop reading. I was like, what? Am I reading this right? You know, who are, you know, the, 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 you know, the lessons the rich, you know, teach their kids that the poor and the middle class people don't. How, especially how it says that you have to create passive income. You have to let your money make the money for you instead of, you know, trying to make money with your own strength or with your limited uh, hours and strength. Why don't you put money on steroids and let the money do the job for you? That was like, wow. You know, I was in college. I was like, I wanted to almost stop everything I was doing to uh -huh. go find something that I could do to, to have press, uh, passive income. So that would be my number one is still my number one. I've probably bought 20, 30 copies and given it away to a lot of people. So I would say that would be number one. Awesome. I love that. I highly recommend that book as well. It's a good mindset shift <laughs> if you haven't read that before in, in the way that you approach, you know, what is an, a true asset um, that's producing mm -hmm. money for you? Mm -hmm. uh, second question what is your favorite software tool that you've been using in your business? Or maybe it's a new software tool that you've discovered that you think other people should be utilizing. Well, um, I would say two softwares would tie into that uh, because now we, uh, over the past year, I've been compiling all my experiences uh, into a course. People have been asking me, when are you going to really, really teach people how you get the best deals out of suppliers in China, all over the world. How do you find your suppliers? So I created a sourcing course. It's called Sourcing Mastery. It's going to be coming out in January. Uh, and um, I, you know, I found Kajabi. It was very simple to use. Mm. I kind of, I really like it. I really, really like it. So it's my favorite software now because of simplicity and what you could do, how you could create uh, one uh, uh, one product and you could, you could reach a lot of people from that single platform. And it ties in with ClickFunnels because, you know, uh, ClickFunnels almost like Kajabi, but uh, on steroids, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll type one of them together as two of my favorite software. They do the same thing, but ClickFunnels just takes it a little step further. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> Great softwares. Um, <laughs> All right. Last question is, who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that other people should be following and why? I think I like Russell Brunson a lot um, because of how he was able to narrow down and niche down to uh, th just the idea of funnels. Like, where did that come from? Like, 
it's been out there, but it was able to make it popular. It was able to make people see what you could do with one product. You know, in, in the Amazon world, the e-com world, everybody wants to sell many SKUs. But in the funnel world, they want to teach you how to sell one. You know, can, can you maximize one thing? So I really like, I listen to him a lot. I really like how he's so persistent in, in marketing, <laughs> you know, how yep. he would do everything he can to just make you buy stuff. I think he's, uh, he's a really cool dude. I, I, I enjoy listening to him. Awesome. Yeah. Russell Brunson is very good. A, a follow-up question I do have is, have you implemented ClickFunnels with any of your Amazon uh, businesses or the products that you've sold there? No, no. We tried. They, 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 there was a funnel template they built for, I believe, for e-commerce back in the day. I think we tried it at that time, I, I wasn't so sure if it worked. I think it was for review generating or mm. something that they built a, 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 a template for. Uh, we didn't use it extensively, so I, I'm not sure if we. I can say we really tried it because we really didn't use it extensively. We were so busy killing fires you know, that we couldn't even stop and really, really look into other really cool tools that we could use to push a button and you keep generating passive income. We, we, we were too busy, <laughs> you know, at yeah. that time. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Awful Lobby, thank you so much for all of your great knowledge. You have a lot of exciting stuff going on. I think you have a gift for our listeners as well. Why don't you tell us about, um, you know, your 3PL business that you have? Um, and your offer for that to our listeners, as well as I think that sourcing mastery course is very interesting. So tell us about all the fun <laughs> things that people should be paying attention to and where you want them to follow you. Awesome. So we, uh, um, we have about uh, almost 100 customers that we do end-to-end -end supply chain management for. Uh, supply chain is uh, two words that most Amazon sellers don't understand. Even e any e-commerce sellers, they just don't understand the word supply chain. They know inventory, they know logistics a little bit, but supply chain just means from the very beginning of your journey of your product to the very end, when it gets to the customer's hands, that is my definition of supply chain. So how can you save money and maximize profit across the whole supply chain? So that's what we're focusing on now at Hornu to help brands look into their supply chain and say, well, you're losing money here, 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 and here, and here. We could do it better this way, this way, this way, this way. If we do this and this and this, you will be able to make more money. Mm. And uh, another big part of it is the tariff terminator, which I uh, we're going to you know give uh, to the listeners, uh, uh, you know, uh, a very good discount to the listeners uh, is I do have a lot of maybe a recent story uh, about two about a month ago. Uh, a friend of mine in uh, uh, in Mexico reached out to me. He's like, "Oh, we want to bring in some uh, uh, electronic products, and uh, you know, you know, our our, our duty is thirty percent." I'm like, "Wait, thirty percent for duty?" He says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what our forwarders told us." I'm like, "Send me that product. Let me see." So he sent me the product. I'm like, I sent it to my team, uh, you know, in China. I said, hey, Kathleen, help me take a look at this product. What is the tariff rate on this product? So Kathleen did a research. It's a very complex. You have to know, you have to be very good in Mandarin and Cantonese and English at the same mm. time to be able to reclassify to to be able, to be able to know the exact tariff code your product should have. So she looked at it and she's like, no, this is a 7% tariff product. So I sent it back to my friend. I'm like, your product is not 30%. It's 7%. That's a huge savings. Oh, yeah. Just on one single order, you'll probably be able to see like $20,000 in tariff alone. So uh, that, those are the things we put into our supply chain, uh, 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 you know, uh, management service for brands. And now on our 3PL uh, location, so we have a location here in Pennsylvania, and we are going into a ultra modern. I'm going to send you a photo 
of our rendering of the of our 3PL center that is we're going to move into Q1 next year. It is amazing. So I designed a three that center because I found out that the flow, the way a warehouse flows, would determine if you you're able to save your customers uh, money in their supply chain or not. So the flow that most warehouse has is not optimized. So therefore, a lot of products either go missing or a lot of products just take a lot of time to prep and to send out. An average 3PL could spend five to two weeks before they send your products out from the time you send in the request to the time they actually send it out. The problem is because the system, the, the warehouse is not optimized. It's not designed really for an Amazon business. Uh, so when we, re, when we redesign the flow of things, now we're able to get our products in like sometimes less than 24 hours, sometimes in three hours, like three hours from the time we get a request to ship our products, they actually go out within three hours. Some of them, if it's a lot, you know, we can say, oh, give us 24 hours, it will go out because yep. of the flow of things. And the new building we're going into that is super optimized. I'm so excited because we're going to be using automatic conveyors. We're going to be using automatic wrappers, palletizers. And from That's the staff cool. of, yeah, it is so cool. And we're looking at into robotic hands to palletize and everything like that so that we can pass on the savings uh, to our customers. So those are the things we have going on. And then we can talk about the offers we have for all the listeners today. Awesome. Let's talk about the, <laughs> let's talk about the offer then, because man, you got, <laughs> so number one, Afalabi, I think that we're going to need to bring you back on another episode and we will talk all things supply chain 3PL because we could spend another hour just talking about that. So I think that's going to be my next request is let's schedule another time because you have so much experience here and this is such a pain point for most sellers um, that it's amazing. So you offer a lot of great services. I highly recommend you guys reach out to Awful Lobby, but why don't you go ahead and share your offer with our listeners? So the number one offer will be our tariff terminator service. Uh, we have a lot of success, um, which means we would help you look into your products, how much you're paying for tariff now, and we would find ways to help you reclassify your HTS code so that we can bring your tariff rate lower. Let me give you an example of how that works. So let's say you're selling... So, Josh, you're selling a, a photo album and you want to bring your photo album into the U.S. and your China supplier gives you an HS code. But in order to bring it into the U.S., you need an HTS code, right? China gives you HS code, but you need to interpret and convert it into an HTS code. So your supplier just do, does some, you know, quick conversion and say, oh, like, this is your HTS code. You're, you're going to be paying 35% tariff. Mm -hmm. In most cases, nine out of 10 times they're wrong. So we will take the HS code and look at your product listing. We'll read every part of your product listing. We want to know what that product is, what you're going to use it for. So we take your photo album and say, Josh, the product actually qualifies as a photo journal. And then it qualifies as a baby book. Mm -hmm. And then it qualifies as a toy because Maybe it has a little song, like a little, you know, singing voice or singing audio, something into it. So which HES code are you going to pick? Are you going to pick the one for journal, photo album, toy, educational? You know, they all qualify. Yep. The product qualifies for all of them. So we look at all these things and say, okay, for a photo album, it's 3% tariff. For a baby book, it's 17% tariff. For, you know, whatever else you're calling it is 32%. Of course, we'll go for the 3% one because we can defend it in customs. When we're bringing it into the country, we would yep. defend it because that's exactly what you you could argue that my product is actually that. Yep. So that's one of the offers we want to do. it. We usually do it at 397 for each product. But for your listeners, for the first time, we will offer it at 197 per product. This single service has been saving some people. I mean, in my own brands, before I sold that brand, we were 
spending about maybe one million or more on inventory just to buy the inventory. Yeah. And we were able to, we were able to reduce our tariff from twenty five percent to maybe twelve or seven percent. That's a huge yeah. number. You know, for a million dollar, you're spending a million dollar on inventory and you're saving twelve percent in tariff. That's a hundred and twenty thousand dollars in savings every single year. And it only yeah. costs you one ninety seven dollars to do the reclassification, right? So that's a big deal. Uh, offer that we're offering uh, 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 all the listeners today. I love it. Awful lobby. What a <laughs> generous offer and also something that people should be paying attention to and a great way for them to save money as well. So yes. I definitely encourage you guys to reach out. So how do they take advantage? Where can they reach out to you to claim this offer? So they should just, uh, you know, send an email to savings at Honor Worldwide and say, you know, they listen to, you know, you know, ecom breakthrough, you know, podcast with the one ninety seven dollar offer, we would honor it. It's just simple like that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, awful lobby, thank you so much for your time. And uh we look forward to having you back on the show talk more about supply chain down the road. Uh but thanks so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Josh. I really had a great time. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.